holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning, happily birthday to you. Thank you very much. Yes, it was my happily birthday Happily birthday, yeah, that, that was just a mistake. I wasn't trying to... Um, Arscast extra oh, really? the, uh, the the word happy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were sort of trying to coin a new catchphrase and, you know, spin out a load of merchandise, happily birthday merchandise. We could record happily birthday to you. That's like a parody song, put it out on YouTube. The possibilities are endless. They really are. Did you have a good birthday? It was a very, it was a landmark birthday as well. 33, which I refer to as mm. the Jesus birthday, because if you get beyond 33, to the point where, of course, Jesus was crucified and put to death. I always feel like you've you've kind of achieved something. And all of us who have not been crucified in our lives, I think, feel like that. I mean, there's still time. If, if, if anyone <laughs> is going to get crucified in the modern day, it probably is going to be me for something. Uh, I think... Yeah, 33 feels quite old, doesn't it? When you... Not I mean, I know me. there are plenty of older people listening, Not scoffing at that. Yeah, <laughs> But when you think about it, in, I can't help but think about my age in sort of footballers' terms. And, you know, think of the way we talk about someone like Laurent Koscielny mm. or Nacho Monreal, who are sort of in that bracket. It's very much washed up over the hill on their last contract. Um, but despite all that, yes, I did have a, a good birthday. I was at a wedding on Saturday night, so I celebrated my birthday, you know, surrounded by... All these lovely wedding guests at midnight, making it about me. Well, of course, as I mean, usual. surrounded by people who have, you know, a bigger celebration than you. Mm. But, you know, why not co-opt it? It? Was, it was my special day. It was my special day. It sure was. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. And there were many um, uh, kind birthday wishes on Twitter last night as well from people who thought mm. you bore in your youth when you had the hair to die for, it has to be said, uh, they thought you bore a striking, striking. I'm just adding the letter L randomly to words here today. Um, Why not? A striking resemblance to Matteo Glenduzzi. Glenduzzi, I did that one on purpose. Yes, yes. Well, I'll take that over uh, Mick Hucknell, which is the other one that was doing the rounds. Yes. Genduzzi far, far preferable to, to Mick Hucknell on all kinds of levels. I mean, I don't know if Matteo Genduzzi can sing. But I would prefer to listen to him sing than Mick Hucknell. No question. I'd I'd have the Genduzi album over the Hucknell album any day of the week. And I'd probably also keep Genduzi in Central Midfield over Mick Hucknell. So Genduzi wins on both counts. He is. Isn't uh, Mick Hucknell a big Manchester United fan also? So He is. He is. Another aspect I, uh, to his evil. I know. He even picked the wrong... 
red team. What can you do? Mm. So you've been at a wedding all weekend. I take it um, during the the uh, the wedding festivities, you didn't slope off to to watch the European Under Twenty One Championships or the Copa America or anything like that. No, afraid not. Or nor the Women's World Cup. I, I uh, I've not been watching much football this weekend. I've just been sort of searching Twitter intermittently for transfer rumours. That's been about the extent of it. Yeah, there haven't been that many either, although there is a story this morning about how we've agreed a five-year contract with uh, William Saliba, whose name I did not have to Google before I uh, asked you the question. Um, Now Mm. just the small matter of agreeing terms between Arsenal and Saint-Étienne. So that that seems to be the the closest one. And also the Alexis Claude Maurice thing over the weekend seemed to have a bit of legs. But of course, we wait and see. We, we just don't know uh, what's happening, if anything, uh, in terms of in terms of transfers. Are you excited in any way by either of those two? Well, my excitement about Saliba is tempered by the news that Arsenal are considering sending him back on loan to Saint-Étienne for a season. Mm. Apparently, you know, Saint-Étienne are making that a condition of any possible sale. But, uh, you know, it sort of might be a really smart move in the long term. I can't help but think we need to fix our defence more immediately than that, you know? Yeah, it is trying to do... I mean, everyone says, don't they, that we've got to buy these players, we've got to get these players at a young age before they become unobtainable to us in terms of what they cost, uh, the transfer fees might cost, etc., etc. But at the same time, you're then buying players who might not be quite ready to do what we would like Arsenal to do. It, we're, we're very much in, like, take a step back to take a step forward territory. It feels like, anyway. Yeah, and to be honest, even if this guy did come in... He's a teenager, you know. I think we yeah. have to be realistic about how immediate his impact could be anyway. So, yeah, it feels like a smart signing, a sort of, again, doozy-esque bit of business if it happens. Um, but maybe one where we'll have to be a bit more patient, maybe more like the level of patience we thought we'd need for Gendouzi. Um He looks like a, a really good prospect, but, you know, it's not going to be something that, dramatically changes our fortunes next season, well, it I mean, seems. Unless you think Arsenal might not agree to this uh, loan back. I mean, is the there way. is there the potential perhaps to, I don't know, could we, could we sign him and loan them Mavropanos, for example? Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad shout. Uh, I, I'd be in favour of that. And then, you know, he gets to start acclimatising to English football a little bit quicker. He gives us another option in the first-team squad. And we're not shy of centre-halves we could send there. You know, there's Mavropanos, there's uh, Christian Bielik, yeah. there's even someone like Callum Chambers, potentially. So, you know, there are a few that we could send the other way. I, I Let's get that rumour going of a Mavropanos loan San Etienne, <laughs> because that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, actually, there's a question here. I'm going to weave in some questions throughout the podcast as we do in this sort of off-season and there isn't a great deal happening. Uh, from Liam Stokes, who said, would buying Saliba represent a good use of resources? Uh, recruiting young talent makes sense for us in general, but given that we have Mavropanos, Chambers, Bielik and Holding on the books, isn't central defence a bit of an exception in that regard? And when we do have, I think everybody accepts the fact that we have a limited transfer budget if we're going to use some of that budget to buy a player 
who we're then going to loan back to a club. It, it, you know, even if it is part of a long-term strategy, there is a very short-term need to ensure that our uh, defence has less Mustafi in it next year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we couldn't take him, could they? I mean, the problem is he's on wages that a club like San Etienne probably couldn't afford, irrespective. So, mm. uh, look, we, we need a number of defensive signings this summer. We've talked about left back. We've talked about potentially right back. We definitely need a new centre-half who can play regularly next mm. season. If it's not going to be Saliba, it, it has to be somebody else. And I don't think that should preclude us doing this type of long-term deal. I mean, that's what we've been asking for from the club, a, a sense of long-term planning, a sense of you know rejuvenating the squad, mm. an eye on the future. But it can't, it can't just be that. We also need something... We need something that can improve us more quickly. Yeah, I mean, do you, when you think about the transfer deals that we're potentially doing and the players that we're looking at, I mean, I I see a lot of sense in those deals, but at the same time, I find it a little bit difficult to marry um, what we need to do in the short term with this long-term planning. I don't know how quite you find the balance between the two things, but for every deal or for every player that's out there, there's kind of a, a but or a caveat in relation to his signing. Yes, this will be good, but we have to look after the de- the defence for next season. What about our central midfield? You know, we could bring in this guy, but, or we're bringing in this young Brazilian, he'll be great, but he's only 18 and he's one for the future. Or or the same with Alexis Claude Maurice, uh, as Philippe Auclair was saying on the, the Arscast on Friday. You know, maybe not a player for this season, but in two seasons, you know, and that's great in two seasons' time, but in the very short term, there are still big issues to address. Yeah, it's uh, it, it almost feels like we need a kind of dual strategy. And in fairness, I think we had a bit of that last summer. You know, you look at signings like Socrates, but paired with signings like Genduzi and Torreira. It's almost as if there was one eye on the present and one eye on the future. That seemed to be the way Sven was going. If you even look at the previous transfer window... You've got Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan at one end of the spectrum, Mavropanos at the other. And and maybe there's an extent to which the club are trying to continue that sort of duality. But the thing is, we don't really need any more players around 30. We've got mm. far too many of them already. So I do think inevitably the signings are going to fall in that younger part. And we know, we've been down this road before, that that has risk to it you know it's risk that players aren't ready risk that players don't adapt risk that they don't fulfill the potential you project them to have but it's a risk that i think in our position we we just have to take at the moment yeah you are gambling on potential if even if you bring in saliba and you 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 integrate him into the first team you know and we've spoken about this before how there is a great opportunity to do that you know more than ever if you are going to to embark on this strategy of buying young players to me it wouldn't make sense to loan him back bring him in and play him in the europa league straight away that that's what we can do that's the that's the one benefit for us of being in the europa League next season is the ability to just give playing time to young players to to sort of get a proper handle on their potential, their readiness, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff, and, and just put them into a competitive environment rather than have them at under 23s or we talk about, you know, a loan deal. Maybe they could go on loan in the second half of the season. You know, if there is 
that strategy being put in place w- with regards to our transfer business, if you're buying an 18-year-old Saliba, bring him in and play him. Same, I mean, that's where I go with Mavropanos. We, t- we talked about him the other week. Uh, I would play him. Um, so there is that. And then maybe you can loan players out in the second half of the season if, if, if the opportunity arises. So... I don't know. Mm. We're we're sort of scratching around in the dark, though, aren't we? Because nothing concrete has happened in terms of transfers. So it's very hard to get a handle on what it is we're doing. We're just kind of guessing about what's what's going on. No, you're right. But I think there are patterns in the types of players we're, we're linked with, particularly in sort of the age profile and I guess the price bracket to an extent too. I mean, you know, it does seem that there is an attempt to bring in some players sort of between 18 and 23, you know, at least to balance out the sort of ageing aspects of the squad. I mean, the problem with Saliba as an immediate improvement for the team is how many centre-halves are flourishing before the age of 20 yeah. and able to cope with top-level Premier League football. It's, it's a very select list, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. I mean, he's got to be, you know, he'd have to be brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Like the outstanding young central defender in European football to come in and do a job yeah. straight away at, at that kind of age. So it is one of those things where if you are buying and you're you're gambling on the potential, that potential might not be realized for, you know, particularly with a central defender, it might be three or four years before you get to to see him really uh, establish himself in that position. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a sort of Raphael Varane level talent mm. if he's going to walk into the team and, and flourish. And, you know, I almost wonder, you probably do have to think of it as someone who's really going to come in and improve us in sort of two to three years' time, potentially, and... I wonder how the club account for that. Like if they almost look at the transfer fee and they think, well, yes, this is technically out of the summer's budget, but it's kind of, we can sort of aggregate it, think about it as an investment over the next 10 years. Therefore, we can almost separate it as a mm. fee and not have to worry about it in quite the same way. I, I do wonder about that element to it because if the numbers we're seeing about a sort of £40 million budget are true and half of it goes on a player who can't really play for us next season. Mm. You know, that is a concern. As much as this is an exciting prospect, that is also a concern. It is. And then we come back to the point where we have to make our central defence better next season. Simple as that. You Mm. know, we can't go into another season with a collection of um, defenders like we have at this moment in time where it's just not good enough um, and the team is not good enough defensively. I mean, overall, we we focus, of course, on the defenders, but overall, I don't think there's enough... um, defensive focus within this team to to see any significant improvements next season unless we invest in in better personnel no i mean and I, to be honest i don't think there is a 18 year old 19 year old 20 year old player who who can fix this defense i think mm. we're going to be looking at players in a a different age bracket, a slightly older age bracket, as ones who can immediately improve us in that regard. But uh, none of this is to criticise the club for implementing some sort of mid to long term transfer strategy. I think that's definitely a positive development. But you know, it just doesn't assuage the immediate need that we have. And no. 
you know, we almost can't help but think about the opening game of next season. I mean, the fixture list is out now. We know what a tough start we have. And I'm not sure any 18-year-old centre-half is going to be the thing that gets us through that tough start. No, I don't think so. Speaking of tough starts, the fixtures came out and uh, listeners to the Arscast Extra will uh, have a wry smile at our first game of the season, which is against Newcastle. Uh, Daniel Mm. Fitzpatrick on the Discord says, is there a correlation between the recent discussions about Magpies and the fact that Newcastle are Arsenal's first opponents this season? No, I think we made that happen via the universe and our, our talk of Magpies. Um... In more serious terms, though, it is a it is a tricky enough start to the new season, isn't it? Because Newcastle away never particularly easy. We've got Burnley at home, which often is a bit easy, but um, we'll have to wait and see. But then Liverpool and Tottenham before the end of August and before we go into the first interlull. You could do without those games that, that that soon in the season, couldn't you? Yeah, it's a little bit reminiscent of last season, isn't it, when we started with two very, very difficult games. Uh, I know it's not quite as bad as that, but some very tricky early fixtures. And when you think about how we finished last season uh, and the pressure that Unai Emery kind of came under, I think, understandably so, it could be very tricky for him. I mean, he has a lot of faith and a lot of trust that he needs to regain and a difficult start, I think could genuinely leave him in a a slightly precarious position, potentially. Mm. Look, yeah, I I don't want to even start thinking about that uh, at this point because we're still in the summer and we're we're sort of looking at things through the the worst-case scenario prism. Uh, But, you know, it is going to be a tricky start. I looked at the fixtures and I thought, wow, every game, every game is tough. Every single game I look at and I think, ooh, that's a bit difficult. But that, you know, speaks to where we are and what we need to do this summer and everything else. So, you know, we could have a different um, we could have a different approach or a different outlook on things at the start of August if and when we, we do some transfer business and, and we have a better idea of the state of the squad. But I was looking, I wrote about it in today's blog. Um, three of our central midfield players are away. Three of our four senior central midfield players are away on international duty uh, this summer. El Neni mm. at the African Cup of Nations, Lucas Torreira, who really looks like a player or looked like a player who could do with a good summer of rest and recuperation. He's at the Copa America with Uruguay. And Matteo Ganduzzi is at the European Under-21 Championships with France. Granit Xhaka, of course, played until mid-June in the uh, the Nations League. So um, there are lots of complicating factors when you think about the start of the season, aren't there? Yeah, there are. And, uh, you know, that that's doubtless going to have some impact on us. I mean, you know, who knows if someone like El Nenny will be here next season, but, you know, Shaka, Terrera, Gunduzi, they're going to be players that Emery is relying on, really, counting on. So it would be lovely to think we could freshen up those options with a, an alternative in central midfield, but... Yeah, it's quite difficult to know who that's going to be at this point. And again, it might mean that there's opportunities for younger players too. Uh, I know some of them are travelling as well with the under-21s, but maybe that will give them uh, an early an early chance to impress in the first team. Yeah. It, I mean, it, just on a very basic level, what we need to do this summer is quite overwhelming. 
you know, the, mm. the squad, and you look at the squad, and I know we've talked about him, we've talked about the question marks over this player and that player, and, you know, how he could go and he could go and all the, all that kind of stuff. Um, but all all the summer football and all the 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 tournaments and the under-21 stuff and the fact that the tour gets underway, the U.S. tour gets underway in early July and some of the players who you would expect to be on that tour and to have uh, an opportunity to impress Unai Emery and to play some games against good opposition might not be there because they do need they do need some rest. You know, I was talking to a a guy on Twitter this morning, uh, if I can find his name here. Just a conversation about uh, Christian Bielik. One second. Uh, it's MZL23. And he was of the opinion that if Bielik was really determined to make it at Arsenal, he should cut short his summer holidays and make sure that he's on the tour and there to um, show Unai Emery what he can do. But, uh, you know, we mm. have to remember that players... Uh, need a rest. They do need some time off and potentially could end up fatigued, injured, uh, 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 and blow their chance that way if they don't apply a bit of common sense or a bit of common sense isn't applied to them. You know, they, they, there has to be somebody saying, look, you know, you've played all season, you've played a summer tournament, take three weeks off and come back and you're a bit behind, but, you know, you can catch up. I mean, it has to work that way, surely. You'd think so. And, you know, it looks like Shad Forsyth is going to be in a slightly new role at Arsenal next Mm. season, having been essentially promoted. And and you'd have to think that part of his agenda will be making sure those players who have been at international tournaments or playing international fixtures during the summer are suitably rested and suitably prepared. And it's a real shame for Bielik because... You know, he's had a really good loan and there's a lot of talk about him coming back into the squad. If he can't make the tour, that's a shame for him. But he's got to, I think, play a slightly longer game than that. And also, you know, him being at this tournament, from what I can tell, he seems to be really impressing. He played well at the weekend in the Mm. highlights that I saw and the reports that I read. So him being there, I think, is advancing his reputation and probably improving his chances of catching Emery's eye almost as much really as, as being on that tour. I think I think it's really good for him to be uh, doing what he's doing with Poland right now. So I, I don't think we'd want to change that. Did you did you see him at all play that game? Uh, I saw a few clips during the rounds. I didn't watch the game, but I did see a few clips. Uh, apparently he made a mistake, but he also scored a goal and was very good, excellent on the ball. I really like the way he uses the ball. I've watched, I watched him a bit for Charlton towards the end of the season when the playoff games were on. And I know he's a little bit um, slow on the turn in central midfield uh, where he was playing for Charlton a lot uh, as a holding midfield player um, so that would be a little bit of a worry in Premier League terms where the pace is a bit quicker and you don't get as much time on the ball but taking it out from the centre of defence and the way that he distributes the ball is very impressive I think there's something to be said as well for his his size he's fucking gigantic he's a really mm-hmm. big guy and we are a team that could do with a bit more physicality, could do with a bit more height at the back. You know, we we could use those assets quite well. So I'm interested to see how the rest of this tournament goes for him. And I'm also interested to see what the what the club's plan is for him because, you know, he's been quite upfront, hasn't he, about what he wants next season. He does not want to come back and play under-23 football. He's got two years left on his contract, apparently. So, um 
we could potentially loan him out again. But I think he's at a point in his career where he wants to play regular first-team football and would be open to a move. So the club have, have got a bit of thinking to do, haven't they? I mean, we paid two and a half million pounds for this kid when he was 16 um, to bring him into the club in the first place. It feels like he's been with us for a long time, but he's still only 21. You know, he he potentially could be one of the one of the young players who could make a step up. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting prospect and... You know, when I think about the size thing uh, and also the way he brings the ball out of the defence, he reminds me a little bit, and I don't know how flattering a comparison people will consider this, but he reminds me a bit of Harry Maguire at Leicester, um, who is a player, you know, Manchester United are talking about paying £60 million for or something crazy. So Mm. I think he's quite an unusual type, you know, to be that big but have that ability on on the ball... um, and almost the sort of bravado on the ball that he has. You know, he, he does seem able to take risks and, and dribble. I, I think he looks really interesting. And surely, surely he's someone we could say, look, you'll get cup football with us next season. You'll get the Europa League games. You'll get the League Cup games. And surely that's going to be enough to keep him. I'd like to think so. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense. Uh you know, but I suppose, it, you know, we, we all look at it and, and uh, have our own opinion on it. But from the club's point of view, um, we have to wait and see what kind of reports they have or how they view him. You know, what we mm-hmm. think and what Unai Emery and his coaching staff think um, are, are, are different things. I mean, speaking of coaching staff, did we discuss the Freddie Jumberg, Steve Bowl job swap on last week's show? I don't think it had happened yet, had it? No, I don't think it had. Just mm. sorry, just one last thing on Bielik. Yeah, you say he's got two years left on his deal. Well, by Raul Sanjay's logic, that means a, a decision's got to be made, really, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I, I'd be inclined to give him a new contract, kind of irrespective. So at least you've protected your investment yeah. there, even if you know you are going to send him out on loan or something. If you can get him to sign a new deal, well, that's it. If you can get him to sign yeah. a new deal, if you can say to a player, sign a new deal without giving him assurances that he's going to be given an opportunity. I don't think that's possible. I just don't think it's possible. I think he he would need to be convinced first by some regular football with Arsenal, and then we could uh, potentially give him a, a new contract. But, you know, again, it's a, it's a complicated thing. So, uh, Freddie Jumberg and Steve Bold, job swap. Uh, Freddie Jumberg mm. coming into Unai Emery's first team uh, coaching setup next season, and Steve Bold going back to work with the young players as he did with, with, uh, with some uh, great effect in the past. It's quite an interesting change, that, isn't it? It is. It is. And I heard you talk about it on the, the regular Ask cast um, last week. And I, I think this is really interesting. And, and I know that you have said for some time you, you feel like Freddie Jumberg might be being groomed as a, a potential future Arsenal manager. Mm. And... I just wonder if maybe our incoming technical director, Edu, might have any role in this. You know, Raul Sanjay spoke about his Edu's role being partly to sort of safeguard the club's footballing values and principles and have an eye on the, the longer-term mm. vision for the club and the project. And let's not forget, he's someone who knows Freddie Jumberg very well. They played together um, under Arsene Wenger. So maybe this... Such shift in emphasis is, is is a consequence of him coming on board and thinking, well, where will we be 
five years down the line, not just, you know, at the end of Unai Emery's current contract. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it all depends how this how this move came about. Whose idea was it? Was it the club's idea to make that promotion? Was it Unai Emery's idea to make the promotion? Did it come yeah. about a slightly different way and it was something that just said, okay, okay, we'll have, yeah, this seems all right. You know, if it is part of a long-term strategy, great, um, you know, because it, it would be nice to think that there is that kind of joined up thinking at the club these days. I'm not 100% convinced that's exactly how it came about, but, you know, if Freddie is uh, a coach, um, I think he clearly is a coach with some potential more first team experience will be beneficial to him in the long run, whether it's at Arsenal than it would be for Steve Bold at this point. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we'll wait and see just quite how involved he is um, by Unai Emery. That's the other thing. Um, what what specific roles will he have, or what will he be? What will he be allowed to do uh, under under Emery? Yeah, because we we are guessing, but it never felt like Steve Bold was a particularly uh, prominent member of Emery's coaching staff. No. Uh, and the other thing to say about this change, and I suppose the change just uh, going out of the club, is that this could well be just Emery uh, filling the... populating all the, the major roles with his guys. You know, ultimately, I know Jumberg and Forsyth are... Uh, interior appointments, but you know Burgess was hired before Emery. Steve Bold was part of Arsene Wenger's regime. Emery's been there a year. He's got his foot under the table, and maybe he's just you know making his presence felt mm. a little bit and shaping the staff accordingly. It's difficult to know whether it would be coming from him or from a sort of technical direction side. I have to say, I sort of hope it's the latter. Yeah, to. I hope so too. What did you make of the Darren Burgess? Um sacking, which is a bit of a surprise. I mean, he was brought in by Ivan Gazidis. This much is clear. And he was brought in on a very, uh, very healthy salary for mm. for a staff member. Um, I feel like perhaps there was a, a little bit of um, financial trimming going on here. And I, I, I'm not sure I buy into this story that was being put out there, that there was this end-of-season inquest and somehow Darren Burgess was responsible for our our inability to get points from games that we should have got more points from. You know, Emery was in charge for the games against Crystal Palace and Brighton and, and all that kind of stuff. It felt a little bit like some of the blame was being pinned on Darren Burgess when that's really not his remit. That's not his remit. I mean, he was head of high performance. He was the guy, or his department certainly was the one who told Unai Emery, Aaron Ramsey is on the brink of an injury here. Ramsey said, I want to play. Um, Emery went with the players' wishes rather than the advice of the the medical people. And Ramsey ended up... um, you know, getting an injury that basically ended his Arsenal career and I think over the the last couple of weeks of the season cost us quite dearly because of um, because of the way the, the game's played and how much we could have used Aaron Ramsey, even if not in every game. So I, I found it all a little bit strange. There was a bit of trying to shape the narrative, perhaps. Yeah, I found it odd. What did you make, just on a slightly adjacent point, of Unai Emery's comments about Aaron Ramsey, where, you know, Ramsey came to him and said he was fit to play and that was kind of good enough for the coach. What was your 
take on sort of that? Well, I mean, did he say he was fit enough to play or that he wanted to play? Um, well, maybe the latter. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, when you invest, as we have done, and, you know, many people wanted us to do in the best people when it comes to fitness and conditioning and the physical condition of players and looking after them. You know, how, how often in the past did we hear about the red zone, the red zone, the red zone and players in the red zone and they end up getting injured. We wanted the club to put money into that side of things to make sure that we didn't pick up the same amount of injuries that we did in the past. So we brought in Shad Forsyth, we brought in... Um, sports scientists and nutritionists and we brought in you know the stat dna for the players to to use during training so that to the nth degree we can see how fit they are and what their physical condition is like right so Mm -hmm. we did that and then the advice of those people those experts was ignored so I, I feel like that one is on Emery for me. I mean, I understand why he would want to play Aaron Ramsey. And I understand why when a player is coming to you and saying, no, I want to play, I'll be fine. I, you know, I, it'll be great. I, I can do it. You would err with the player because you need points and you realize how important that player is to you, even if you've realized it a bit too late in the season. But... It feels like he ignored solid advice and it came back to bite him in the arse. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I mean, Ramsey was the golden goose, really, that made this Arsenal team work in the in the final few months of the season. And mm. I think Emery was probably as acutely aware of our reliance on him as, as we were as fans, if not more so. And it, it did backfire, that gamble. Mm. Um, I have. I, I do understand taking that gamble. I mean, ultimately, some players, uh, you know, play through all sorts of niggles and all sorts of problems. And maybe Emery thought Ramsey could do the same. I think anyone with a detailed knowledge of her, his injury history would, mm. would probably know that's not the case. But yeah, the, the Burgess thing is really. I have to be honest. I, I'm sort of disappointed because I I met Darren Burgess. Uh, a couple of times, and I always thought he seemed like an incredibly on it, intelligent, uh, progressive guy who I think was doing really good work at Arsenal. I mean, look at the amount of ground we covered last season as compared to the year before. Uh, quite a remarkable change there yeah. in sort of the intensity of our physical performances. And, you know, as the head of performance, I think he has to be credited uh, with that. And yet he finds himself out of a job. I suspect, like you, maybe there's an element of cost-cutting involved. It just seems... It, it, it's just, you know, in the in the year in which the Cronkies have taken full control, we know we didn't make the Champions League. Uh, we know there were sort of emails sent out looking to inhibit spending where possible mm. in other departments. You know, if, we, if we're looking at a player with, like Meza Ozil and saying, well, we probably can't afford that allocation of salary to him, maybe we have to also feel like that about staff and cut costs accordingly. I mean, it always seemed a bit strange to have Burgess and Forsyth yeah. working in tandem, didn't it? Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. Um, I was, when Burgess was brought in, I thought, okay, well, surely Shad Forsyth will go. There seemed to be too much overlap uh, in terms of, you know, profile of, of, of the guys as well, you know. Um, so, look, Shad is going to take over and, and hopefully do do a very good job. But it's just another layer of complexity to what's already a fairly uh, complex summer and, and stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Um you know, again, I'll come back to uh, th- this idea that if there is really smart, joined-up thinking going on, uh, and these are decisions that are being made uh, in order to reshape the club and the way that it moves forward, then great. I'm absolutely and 100% on board with that. I'm just, you know, slightly cynical. I'm not convinced. Um, but maybe it just will take time to convince us, James. Well, the one thing I would say is that, I mean, who knows what sort of confidentiality clauses might be in place. But uh, Darren, you know, has not been a particularly media shy person. He's yeah. done quite a lot of interviews in the past in Australia and other places. So I do wonder if we might hear a little bit more. The, the other thing I would say about him is his commitment to Arsenal was always... Uh, slightly split. I think he had other working commitments in Australia and maybe they just felt like they needed someone who had absolute focus on the club. I do think that might have been a factor in in how things played out. But Mm. it's definitely going to be something that's interesting to watch and it will be very interesting to see how how Unai Emery handles his players next season in terms of their workload. You know, we've talked about the Europa League group stage and I just feel like lessons have to be learned, really. Yeah. Actually, I got a couple of interesting emails from people about Darren Burgess um, and his involvement in a thing called Herbalife. Have you heard of Herbalife? Um, That rings a bell. It's a sort of nutrition thingy. But uh, And Darren Burgess apparently did some events last year in Australia um, as a, a, you know, using his title as director of high performance at Arsenal um, to talk about this Herbalife uh, nutrition stuff. One of the things was tailoring your nutrition uh, program to your specific health goals and the latest research behind breakfast and how to apply it. So there you go. I don't know. I did ask. I did ask uh, the club if his involvement with that had any uh, bearing on the decision that was made, and they said no. So I don't know. But uh, mm. it'll be interesting. Maybe he'll go off to apply the latest research to breakfast, um, whatever that might be. I mean, what research can you do into breakfast? It's first meal of the day, <laughs> Cocoa Pops versus bacon. I don't know. Sure, sure. It would be interesting uh, research, yeah. wouldn't it? I mean, imagine like you can we get like a, a, a two million dollar fund to research breakfast, and all you do is eat breakfast every day, all day, just maybe, breakfasts. Maybe they're just trying to finally solve the butter jam conundrum <laughs> that we once faced on this show. Maybe uh, so. Maybe so. I. I encountered another version of that, by the way, at this wedding at the weekend. They served like a sort of afternoon tea of scones and there was quite heated debate about jam and cream and the order in which they should be applied to a scone. Okay, hang on a second here. There's only one way that you can do it. Surely you've got to put the jam, uh, which I I would call it a scone rather than a scone. There's another difference. We're going to, we won't fall out about it though. But you've got to put the jam first and then the cream, right? Well, I, so I, 
I don't do that. But I, I, I mean, surprise, surprise, we disagree. You put cream. I, I mean, I wouldn't put cream on a scone anyway. I mean, I just wouldn't do it. That's abhorrent to me. But you would put cream and then you would put jam on the cream or you just drip some jam into the cream. How does that work? How can you spread it properly if there's a load of cream on it? Because it's like clotted cream, so it's sort of thicker. But also, in my mind, the cream is acting as a sort of butter surrogate. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then the jam is... Well, we've, I mean, we've been in over this before. So I'm just saying, there's a lot of questions that need answering. And if Herbalife and Darren Burgess are the guys to do it, at least Darren Burgess has finally got the time to invest in these important matters. Well, I look forward to the great scone uh, cream jam uh, revelation, uh, his dissertation on how those things should be applied in the correct order. Mm. Uh, I think we'll take a break. Will we? We'll come back and do questions and more in part two. Yes, let's do that. Let's. This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which is available to Arsblog members on Patreon. It's a chat server. You can chat about things, but you can also ask questions for the Arscast Extra in there as well. Um, right, where will we start? start today, James. Here's one, actually. I'll start. It comes from Edie, who's at J underscore Ed on Twitter. He says, how concerned are you with the lack of news slash rumors regarding outgoing players? I haven't read a single story about Mustafi leaving. Um, they are a bit, you know, light, aren't they? Short on the ground. The, the outgoing ones. Lots of players being linked with us, but not so many players being linked away. Short and on the ground, like Mustafi himself, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's almost as if the players we're trying to sell are sort of fundamentally flawed in some way, and other clubs might not be desperate to pay them what we pay them. Mm. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm. Um, I am a bit worried about that, yes, because I feel like the incoming business we've done, who we can get rid of and for how much... Uh, um, so yes, I, and I suppose that 
to, to answer your question with a question, as I tend to do, Frederick Torstenson said, I know the season is almost eight weeks away, but considering the amount of work the club has to do this summer, when is it appropriate for us to lose our collective shit? When should we start to panic if we don't start to see any players coming or going? Now. And, uh, now. <laughs> three, two, one. Ah! Unleash out. Um, I think not yet because there's nothing going on full stop really is there in the Premier League it's very quiet on all fronts as far as I can tell Mm, it it does appear to be I I do tend though to not give a fuck about that in the sense that Mm. people say well who else has made any signings and I'm like well I don't care who else has made signings it's about what Arsenal should be doing or need to do. So I'm not that, you know, I, I try not to use the entire market as uh, as some sort of a guideline for what we should be doing and when we should be doing it. Um, I suppose there is always that domino effect, isn't there, in, in the transfer market where a bit of money starts slushing around and then players, it frees up players to go here and there. And again, look, it is really early in the summer, um, even if the new season is approaching more quickly than we would like. So, you know, I, I, I'm not quite at the panic mode yet. Absolutely not, because, you know, it's really only a couple of weeks since we played our last game and, you know, some shit needs to settle down. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we do need to get moving sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at last summer, we were largely commended for doing pretty swift, efficient business. But I think with the exception of Licksteiner, maybe, I think our signings were almost all in July. Uh, and that's still a couple of weeks away. And it felt like decent time you know did good timing at at the time Mm. so maybe it's not quite yet the point where we should be really worried but um uh, look the sooner the better the sooner the better there's no doubt about that especially with the tour coming up you really do want yeah if there are going to be new signings ideally you want them to be on that don't you Mm, you do uh there's a question here from the discord from liney which i don't particularly want to answer but he he said morning big r's and the gun guns I quite like that. That was Love good. That. Yeah, big yeah. arse and the gun guns. So thank you uh, for that, <laughs> Liney. Uh, the question was about should we sell, you know, some of our better players like Aubameyang, Lacazette, Hector to sort of refinance a, a rebuild. Uh, I, I don't think we should right at this moment in time. I think we should uh, do uh, have a slightly different approach. And we've done a variation of that question uh, uh, before. But I just wanted to reference that nice um, that nice intro. Have you got a question? Will I do a question? Well. On this theme, actually, of timing, uh, on the Discord, Mark T. Drinan asked, does the new shirt deal delay any potential transfer announcements? I've seen a lot of speculation about that. Do you reckon it has any actual say? Uh, Does the moon have any say over our signings? (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Is it out? No, I I feel it'd it'd be better at it than the actual people we've got in the job no i don't really think it it has any bearing on that this idea that we won't make any uh, signings or announce any signings um until we can parade the 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 uh the players in the new adidas shirt that nobody's seen of course nobody has seen these adidas shirts so it's top secret we can't possibly we can't possibly 
announce a player because that would spoil the big surprise of these new shirts that nobody has seen at all. No pictures have done the rounds anywhere. So I guess that's that's the answer. I don't think it has any. Yeah. I don't think it has any real impact. It's a kind of a, a thing to to cling on to a bit, isn't it? Well, that must be the reason. Or we're just waiting to see if we're, you know, in the Champions League and that's, you know, we're going to wait and see how much money we're going to spend, all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really buy into it. No, I'm not sure I give it much credence either because, you know, it would be quite easy enough for the club to make an announcement now saying, we've reached agreement for the transfer of X player but then release the publicity shots and all that, you know, later. I, I, I think we just haven't done a deal yet and mm. unfortunately that's the way it is okay uh we we've got to do this one it comes from nick john uh who's at nick john he says what's your predictions for the summer's net spend um and the gross spend i we've, we've got to do it just pick a figure pick a pick a figure for um I, i'm not going to ask you how many players or anything like that pick a figure for how much money we're actually going to spend and how much money we're going to get in for players and then we'll get our figures and see what we we can do okay um i'm gonna say we're gonna spend 69 million 69 million pounds yeah okay yeah and then I think we'll get um, 26 million pounds. 26 million. So that gives a net spend of 43 million pounds. Okay. Okay. I'm okay. going to say we'll you? spend 51 million pounds and we'll get in. 22 million which would give us a net okay. spend of what 29 million oh I'm not expecting a lot people am I be, no people would be furious if that's the case I think yeah yeah okay they won't be happy with Stanley okay 43 okay, well, we'll for see James how we go with that. and 29 for Andrew and we'll see where we go I obviously hope we're both miles wrong I hope we're wronger mm. than wrong, wronger than we've ever been, wronger than you are about putting cream on a scone before jam. I hope I hope we're wronger than that. Um, okay. Uh, here's a, an, an interesting one while I have it here. It's not really Arsenal related, but we're going to fly through questions. Um, Tom Childs says, where do you stand on Dortmund's stance against season ticket holders? And do you think Arsenal should adopt a similar approach? And I was like, what's that? And he said they cancelled 500 season tickets of fans that didn't attend at least seven of their 17 home games. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I mean, the the only thing about that, and I do see the point and I see how it could improve things in terms of actually having as many fans in the ground as we purport to have, is is there the demand for us to be robbing people of these season tickets, you know, taking them off? Can we easily shift them and mm. get that revenue in. I just don't know anymore. You know, it's a long time since the waiting list was 10 years long and, you know, if you wanted a season ticket, they were like gold dust. It doesn't quite feel, with the improved capacity and with the decline in mm. the team's fortunes, it doesn't feel like that's the case anymore. So I don't think the club are going to take season tickets off people unless they're absolutely certain 
they can sell them elsewhere. Yeah, are they even allowed to? Would they be legally allowed to refuse to renew somebody's season ticket? Like, what if you're in hospital for six months? True. I mean, do you have to provide, like, doctor's notes to, to say, well, this is why I, I wasn't there? And also, I mean, much as people might not like it, if you pay for a season ticket, you're entirely within your rights to either go or not go. Mm. You don't have a responsibility yes. to go. I mean, you should. And if you can't, try and, you know, get your ticket to somebody else. And maybe the club could look at ways in which um, ticket exchange and those kind of things could be improved and made more efficient. But there's nothing to say you have to attend, is there, in the in the terms and conditions? I mean, you've just done your season ticket renewal. Did you read the small print? Yep. Does it say, James, you must attend at least 50% of these games or we will have you flogged and we'll remove your ticket? I don't think it does. I mean, I've seen... I, I, uh, I only looked at one thing, really, and that was the big number, and then I wept a bit and then I paid it. But I think... It's. I think, in fairness to the club, the ticket exchange system they have is pretty effective, you know. Mm. It's, I, as a season ticket holder, find it really useful and really efficient. I mean, it, it works pretty smoothly. So, really, I think the issue is people who can't get to the season ticket games, who hold season tickets, not reselling uh, and leaving those seats empty. But, you know, if they're doing that, they're only really hurting themselves because... You know, they're costing themselves money. They could recoup some money there. Mm. Maybe, I can't see this being enforceable. I don't know how Dortmund have managed to do it. And I imagine it's contingent on them having a lot, a lot of demand. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'd, I'd venture that their season tickets are a lot cheaper than ours. Yes, yes. And so I suspect they have more fans uh, with the sort of economic capability to take up those season tickets. Yeah. Uh, being an Arsenal season ticket holder is an incredibly expensive affair and I'm not sure I'm not sure the queue is a mile long. I know people in other parts of the world might find that hard to believe. I know when I say I renew my season ticket, there's always comments underneath saying, I wish I could be a season ticket holder but I live too far away. Mm. But, you know, it, it is it's a significant expense. It's a significant chunk of most people's yeah. earnings. So... I just, I'm, I'm yeah. not sure how long the queue is right now. I just had a look to see how much a Borussia Dortmund season ticket is. And according to yeah. a website called Statista, um, it starts at 215 euros. So right. that's so for standing. Um, and then 400 for the cheapest category of seats. So, uh, yeah, there, there, there is a marked that, difference. Yeah, I mean, you can pay £120, can't you, for a, a, a seat at an Arsenal game, if it's a yeah. top-tier game, I think. So, Whew. yeah, you're well on your way to a standing Dortmund season ticket at that point. Yeah. All right. Your question? Uh, my question? Well, actually, we, we had this question coming just now from Carsten Eskeland on Twitter. And Carsten says, what will you discuss the most today? Sa hashtag Sarri out or magpies? And we haven't really discussed either. We haven't. I believe you do have some... Um, some. Uh, I have got a magpie fact. Okay, well, that's fine. We'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait. But uh, Are you sure? Yeah, we'll I wait. I could do it now. No, no. Okay. No, let's wait. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm absolutely prepared. Exactly. Uh, just having a quick look at the um, Sarri out hashtag. 
Is there anything here on Twitter? That's well, I imagine good? it's more gleeful celebration, isn't it? I mean, it is interesting. You know, we're talking about what we've done this summer or not done. Chelsea have uh, lost their manager and sold their best player. So I'm enjoying their summer to this point. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'm perfectly happy for them to appoint Frank Lampard as well. That's, you know, it's a real gamble, it seems to me, and a risk I'm content to see them take. Well, unfortunately, um, Prabhav Bala on Twitter, who appears to be a Chelsea fan, is not on board with the Lampard uh, appointment, replying to somebody saying, you absolutely drunk idiot. Go and support Lampard when he drags us to 10th place. And while you are sorry out when he has won us a trophy, taken us to a cup final and finished in the top four in the Premier League, such toxic fans like you would never learn about football and just rant. So there you go. There's a little bit of sorry out. <laughs> Um, a, a, a fond farewell to the Sarri out hashtag that's given us a, a lot of joy um, pretty much right up until the Europa League final at yeah. which point all that joy <laughs> evaporated completely and utterly in a disgraceful Arsenal performance but there you go yeah I suppose that is the uh, there is a, a marked difference between the two clubs or the way that the two clubs are run particularly when it comes uh, to managers uh, I've got a question here for you we're going to have to talk about it uh, at some point um, because I, mm. it was something that really struck me during the week when we heard um, from, not from Mesut Ozil, but I guess from the Mesut Ozil camp via Raphael Honigstein, who does have a, a fairly strong connection with that particular uh, camp, if you like. And he was speaking on the Sky Sports podcast and basically saying Ozil has no intention of going anywhere this summer. Uh, he won't go on loan. That doesn't suit him. Uh, he's not going to China. He's not going to Turkey. And Maka, who's at Arsenio1 on Twitter, says, How concerned are you by the comments from Ozil's camp about him going nowhere? I personally feel very strongly that despite his undoubted talent in the past, the player now seriously handicaps us both on and off the field. And the other thing to mention uh, in that message from the uh, that Honigstein was, was putting out was basically that Ozil would be happy enough to wait it out uh, and see if Emery got sacked and a new man might make life better and happier for him. That's not great, is it? It's not great. And I have to say that, let's say, let's say Emery doesn't achieve what he's intending to this season and he goes at the end of uh, the, the, the forthcoming campaign. Well, at that point, Mesut Ozil will still be here. He'll still be under contract, but he'll be, he'll be almost 32 at with that a, point. With only a year um, left on his contract. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of feel like it's not a situation where you can really see the club, you know, giving him a new deal necessarily. Or, you know, if he waits, I'm not sure quite what he's waiting for. If he has anything left of his prime, it's now. And surely he should want to go and play for a club and for a coach where he feels he can make the most of his talents. I... I this feels like it's become about the money and it's his right. You know, just as it's the right of a season ticket holder to not turn up if they don't want to, it's his mm. his right to uh, continue to take that money from on that contract. But it's an uncomfortable position and, and a, a very awkward one, I think, for for the club. Yeah, it is a bad situation for for Arsenal. That's, you know, my my thinking on it 
now is that the whole situation is just really bad for Arsenal. Whichever side of the fence you're on, whether you're on the Ozil side of the fence, whether you're on the Emery side of the fence, whether you think Emery's done things the right way with Ozil or the wrong way, if you feel that Ozil has behaved perfectly within his rights or it's somehow Emery's fault that Ozil's decline is as sharp as it is, whatever, whatever you feel about that, the bottom line is, is it shit for Arsenal? Terrible. Mm. There's a problem between the coach and the star player, uh, an incompatibility of personality, an incompatibility in terms of football. Uh, you have a player who's saying, well, okay, I'm not going anywhere, and I'll actually sit here and wait for this coach that I don't like to get sacked. That's terrible. That's just really horrible uh, for Arsenal. And the, the fact that the, the head coach can't deal with it or can't, get on top of it. That's also terrible for Arsenal. And somebody um, above Emery and somebody above Ozil has got to make the decision on this and and do it. There's There's got to be a kind of uh, a ruthlessness with this decision because it's a it's a, a festering boil on the the arse of Arsenal and it's spreading and nobody needs that because then stuff starts to come out and ooze down your leg and it's all very, very unpleasant. And that's where we are with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds it. I, and I hope you can get that scene to Andrew, as soon as possible. You can get some creams, but, I believe. <laughs> uh, I think you also have to remember, in, in, the, in the case of Ozil, you know, he's not being linked with a move anywhere, but where do transfer stories normally emanate from if not boils on the bum and it's from uh, the boils on the bum football agents and in this case it's not necessarily in the agent's interest for those stories to be out there they are happy to stay it's not like they're agitating for a move so you know maybe that explains why it's all very quiet um but yes, I would. I would like to see the club and the player reach some sort of compromise that enabled him to yeah. move on. You know, there've been enough question marks about Özil's commitment. When you throw in the prospect that he would quite like the manager to be sacked, I think those questions become all the more uh, alarming mm. and pronounced. Um, it's just unhealthy. It's just unhealthy, yeah. and I think. You, you know, even if you are someone who really believes in the talent of Mesut Ozil and really believes that Unai Emery is, you know, a, a fraud, as uh, as some fans might label him, this this is not a good long-term plan for the club any way you slice it. Like I say, even if Emery <clears throat> is gone by the end of next season, mm. you've got an ageing player there who you can't build your team around, really. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just don't see the point in keeping it at this point, I think we need to try and cut our losses. This, this is an this is an Arsenal problem that Arsenal have to uh, to solve, and we need to see some metal from the people who are running the football club in terms of how they deal with it. Simple as that, because yeah, just simple as that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know this is sort of becoming the drum that I'm beating across the summer, but I really am pinning a lot of hopes on Edu filling what I feel is like an executive gap. And I was thinking about this because I was listening to the Arsenal Vision podcast and they were chatting about the comments from Cohen Bramall and, and Bierlich about feeling, I don't know if you saw this, but feeling like, we you know, if Arsene Wenger was in charge, I think I'd have a clear idea of what my future was. I haven't had that much communication necessarily from Emery or from the club. 
And I was listening to that and and uh, reading those quotes and thinking, surely that's exactly the sort of thing that Edu is going to be charged with, you know, setting mm. out plans for young players, working with Permit Saka, working with Unai Emery, but taking a bit of a longer view and yeah. dealing with these club assets. And I, yeah, I, it, I feel bad almost how much expectation I'm loading on him, but there is a massive vacuum, I think. You know, Raul Senyehi, when I think about what's happened since he kind of took charge of Football Matters, the more I think about it, the more I think he's just not really a technical director. You know, ultimately, it came to the January transfer window and the way we conducted ourselves, he didn't look like a guy who really knew how to do those deals. Like, maybe he knows how to dot the T's or... or sorry, well, that would be wrong. Yeah, maybe yeah. he is dotting the T's and crossing the I's. Um, but, yeah, he, I just felt like we we lacked someone so badly yeah. in that period. And it's the same in dealing with the young players. It's the same in dealing with contracts. It's the same in de- dealing with moving players on. Someone's got to do that 33% of the job that Arsene Wenger did for so long. Yeah. And uh, I'm crossing my fingers that it's going to be Edu. Yeah, it's your question, but I just want to read a, a little quote here from Cohen Bremel. Um, and uh, yeah. I think this was... Uh, quite telling as well. He was talking about when Unai Emery came in. He said, straight away, I knew things were going to be difficult for me after that. When Arsene was there and I was with the first team, I didn't feel a lot of pressure and didn't put unnecessary pressure on myself. I felt really comfortable and that I was fitting in nicely. And, uh, you know, on on the one hand, that's classic Wenger, isn't it? You know, he's not going to put a lot of pressure on players and he wants, you know, he wants the environment to be as nice as possible so they can feel as good as possible and therefore they can reach their potential that way. But this idea that when you don't feel any real pressure, you don't feel a lot of pressure at top level sport. I don't think you can you can really exist like that. Um, And that's probably why his Arsenal career is over. To, a, to an extent. I mean, I don't know that he was ever good enough uh, to be an Arsenal player. Um, it's a weird, strange sort of story, isn't it? What what happened to him and the way that he was brought to the club and hopefully he can go off and have a good career somewhere. But, uh, you know, you, you do need pressure uh, as a footballer to to uh, to develop and to reach your potential and, and maybe it just, you know, that particular quote speaks to the environment that has existed or did exist at Arsenal uh, under Arsene Wenger where the players didn't feel enough pressure to perform. And that was evident mm-hmm. in some of the, the, the games that we, we, we saw and the performances that we put in. Yeah, I think there are two sides to it, aren't there? You know, there's the, the player feeling uh, valued, but then the, the, the danger of a sort of comfort zone around that. And mm. we've experienced both sides of that. Um, these couple of questions are from the Discord from okay. Dazzy Pepper. And Dazzy says, first of all, uh, will you be covering hashtag Lampard out when it inevitably begins? <laughs> Absolutely. I can't imagine anything. We might be doing our own special podcast just on that. Can't wait for it. Uh, and then Dazzy says, given the number of listeners and readers you two enjoy, it would stand to reason that some would try to hoodwink you with bullshit rumours and nonsense transfer stories. What's the biggest load of shit that someone has tried to pedal to you? Can you think of anything in particular? Can I? Think I can. Of- so I might. I might offer one um, while you have a think. Okay. This, go. I think enough time has passed that I can talk about this now. But it's an interesting insight into how things work. So when 
I used to write more regularly for for Gunner Blog. I used to do bits of sort of transfer digging here and there, as as you do. And on one occasion, uh, an agent who was representing uh, Gary Medell. Uh, and this was in the early days of Gary Medell. I think he was possibly still in South America at the time. It was pre-Severe, pre-Europe. Um, approached me and sort of said, listen, could you write a story saying that Arsenal were interested in Gary Medell? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, it would just be really good for the profile of my player in Europe if you could say that Arsenal wanted to buy Gary Medell. And right. I was like, why would I do this? And they're like, well, it might mean in future, you know, I'm able to actually give you some proper exclusives and things like that. But it would really sort of help <laughs> me out, do me a favour. Um, and, you know, I didn't, but he ended up getting the move to Europe anyway and did play in England, I think. Did he briefly, Gary Medell, maybe on loan? Not uh, sure. Cardiff uh, or something like that? I, I don't yeah, know. something like that. Something like that. But there you go. So they, that's uh, uh, a story which is an example of why you should take everything you read in this window with a slight pinch mm. of salt. I, yeah, I mean, um, I do get bits of information from people, obviously, and, and sometimes you do get an email out of the blue uh, with, with some stuff in it. But um, I don't think that anybody's ever tried to hoodwink me in terms of transfer stories or transfer news or anything like that. I think in the very early days of Arsblog, maybe the first year it was going, which is back in 2002, I put up a like a fake letter. It was like a fake fax that Barcelona had sent Arsenal or Arsenal had sent Barcelona, I can't remember which, over the transfer of Patrick Clivert. And for some reason, yes. that got picked up all over the place and it spawned a lot of rumours. Um, so, yeah, apologies uh, about that one. But that was just nonsense, which you don't really expect people to take uh, seriously. But, you know, you do have to take information that you're given, particularly when someone emails you out of the blue or contacts you the way people do these days. You know, it's not just email. People people will get in touch via uh, various uh, channels and platforms you kind of have to take it with a pinch of salt, particularly when it comes to, to transfers. There's other information that informs what you say or what you write or, or what you think about certain things uh, that you know comes from, from a good place. But people don't just randomly email and say, hey, Arsenal, I've, you know, a mate of mine knows this guy down at the training ground. Uh, you know, you, people can leave that sort of shit to the fuckwits who pretend to be horses on Twitter, you know? Um <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Those kind of... Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. That's absolutely fair enough. That is fair enough. Um, Um, Did you say you had another question from the the Discord, or was that the second question? No, that was all... They were all uh, Daz's questions, I believe, yeah. Okay. Uh, I know we're a little bit tight for time this morning, so I want to get through just one more before we uh, do it here, but I can't remember where the question is. One second. Uh, AZ, who's at AZ1MS, is impressed by your curly hair. Could you discuss this, please? There could be a chance of free laser hair treatment from a clinic that might sponsor you. Is there a laser hair clinic that could get back what you lost, James? I'm not sure. I don't think they could quite get that back. I mean, it did happen, didn't it, to... Wayne um, Rooney? ...bearded genius... Well, oh, Bearded Genius on Twitter. Do, do you remember this? Oh, he, did he get like he got a free hair transplant? Right. Yeah. Just by talking he, he about said, it. 
I think he tweeted them fairly regularly saying, please can I have a free tra- hair transplant? Please can I have a free hair transplant? And eventually they said, if you get X thousand retweets, you can. And they, he did. And wow. they did. Uh, but how is so, this, I mean, uh, how's this hair now? Is it is it good? Or? I don't know, actually. I don't know. Um, I think I saw, I sort of kept abreast with it, you know, I sort of have a passing eye. I mean... I'm not sure I can quite face the surgery. I just think bring back wigs. You know, Elton John, he's still rocking wigs and he's getting away with it. I mean, everyone knows it's bullshit, but, you know, people aren't asking him about it anymore. I think normalise the wig. Take the stigma out of wig. Yeah, That's exactly. That's what we need to do. I mean, the glory of wigs is you could have a different hairstyle every day of the week. You could be bald one day. Exactly. You could be a hippie. You could be a curly 1970s uh, footballer. You could have, you know, uh, a dark bob like the lead singer of Swing Out Sister. The possibilities are endless. Why don't people use wigs more? Just for the crack, mm. just for the laugh. Like imagine every day of the week going in with a different, different hairstyle. I mean, remember when you were in school and you got a haircut and people would some... I, I, was this the custom in your school? Because it certainly was when I was in school that when you got a haircut, people would punch you. Oh, look at you, you got a haircut and you get like a punch in the arm. I never quite understood what wow. that was about. That was a, maybe an Irish thing, but... Did it matter if it was a good haircut or a bad haircut? Nobody had a good haircut at fucking 14 years of age when you come into school. (laughs) You didn't have good haircuts. Certainly not back in the 1980s either. There wasn't the same emphasis on hairstyling back then as there is now. Um, So, yeah, but I I tend to agree. I think more wigs, more wigs. Maybe we should do that. Certainly some of the haircuts I had deserved to be punched as soon as they were administered. I'll tell you what we'll do, James. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make an absolute commitment to this on this podcast. Go on. Next time we do a live show, we'll yeah. both wear a wig of some description. Great. Yeah? Do you remember when we did the live show when Una Emery was appointed? Yes. Um, I had bought a Mikel Arteta wig, especially <laughs> for the occasion. <laughs> And was like waiting to put it on excitedly. I think yeah. at half time I was like, oh, this is when I'm going to bring out the Arteta wig. And just at that point, someone blurted out from the crowd that Uno Emery had been appointed Arsenal manager. Yeah, David Ornstein um, had dropped the news. I, David Ornstein ruined exactly. your Arteta wig. Thanks, David. I know. Thank I, you. I need to go back and get a draft. Okay, wig very, quick, very quick, very quick one because we have go. Uh, go you, you've got to go, and we also need to do the uh, important magpie facts. Um, but yeah. basically, uh, final one from Mike at Chal Mike Chal underscore Mike. If you could go on summer holiday with one of the current squad, who would it be, and where would you go? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if he's, he's still under contract, technically. Danny Welbeck's having a lovely summer holiday, from what I can tell from Instagram. Is he? Where is beautiful. he? I don't know. It's just pristine he blue. He probably uh, isn't putting it out there, actually, quite sensibly. Yeah. He's not saying <laughs> he where he is. He doesn't want me to go with him, is the issue. Yeah. Uh, who would I go on holiday with? I'd want to go with Aubameyang, I think. He yeah. seems like a very chilled-out, fun guy. Mm. Yeah. Ideally with Aubameyang and Lacazette. Just to be part of that bromance would be beautiful. Okay. Very good. What about you? Uh, I would go to Siberia with Mustafi. (laughs) And leave him there. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I think that would be a good one. No, I I agree. I think, you know, Hector would be a good guy to hang out with as well, wouldn't he? Hector Bellerin Mm, seems like he could be fun. Um, Obama Yang, there would be good 
good laughs with Obama Yang, with the Obama Yang camp, um, wherever sure. they might be. Carl Jenkinson, probably a bit of a lad as well. Bit of a, yeah. yeah. I enjoy listening to Carl Jenkinson um, every time yeah, I see him do guy, a video. He's a funny guy. I still think, you know, one of those videos where they got the players to ask each other questions. Uh, there's one with Oxley Chamberlain and Jenkinson, which is just hilarious. Uh, which I yeah, watch from great. which I watch from time to time. Okay, time is pressing. It is time for hang on. Magpies, magpies in your garden. Watch out, they'll peck out your eyes. Magpies flying in the sky, black and white, and conducting evil. Magpies, <laughs> magpie facts. So. Hit Lovely. Thank you so much for a morsel like that. Okay, so my magpie fact this week is that right, my wife does this thing whenever she sees a magpie, and someone tweeted in saying their wife yes, does the same. I saw this. If she sees a magpie, she has to say, Good morning, Mr. Magpie. How's your wife and family? And she does it absolutely religiously. I mean, but she sort of does it sort of under her breath, so she thinks I don't hear her doing it. So we'll just be driving along and she'll go, Good morning, Mr. Magpie. How's your wife and family? Have you ever encountered this superstition? Um, I have heard of people doing something like that, yeah. Because it's... One know, for sorrow. One for sorrow, two for joy. So if you see a two single magpie, joy. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the Irish equivalent of that is, but there is one. And I know people do it. Uh, it Three is- for a tiger. Four for eternal damnation. Yeah. Five <laughs> for a hurricane is coming. Six, and they're in your house eating all your dry goods. Seven, you turn into a magpie. That would make yeah, that's eight. How, that's the old folks. Song. That would make eight. Oh, that would make eight, and then yeah. it's game over. But the thing is, I've always thought Mr. Magpie, has Mr. Magpie got a wife and family? How do they know that Mr. Magpie's not just a bachelor? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A single man. Um, who knows? Well, it transpires, and this is the true magpie fact, that magpies do mate for life. So... If he's a heterosexual magpie, the chances that he has a wife and family are at least substantial. Well, you know, we have a magpie family in our back garden. This is where all this began. They've got three little kids. How are they How are they getting on? It's three been, kids, It's yeah. been quieter. I don't want to tempt fate here, but it's been quieter of late than it has been, uh, which is good. There's more sleep being had, less barking being done. Yeah. So... Maybe the magpies are lying low. Yeah, the magpies are just taking it easy. The the maybe the the young birds have have grown out of their teenage phase and they're now maturing nicely and are responsible members of the the magpie society. Maybe that's what it is. Imagine if when we go to Newcastle on the opening day of next season, all the magpies of the northeast of England are just on the roof of the stadium, staring mm. down at the pitch. Oh. That would be terrifying, wouldn't it? It would be. Hitchcockian. Uh, or if when the teams run out, we run out, you know, our, our depleted team, Mustafi's still playing. And captain, then instead of captain 11 Mustafi. players, Captain Mustafi, one of the, yeah, we've got one captain next year and it's him. And then instead of the Newcastle players running out alongside, it's 11 magpies flying out of the tunnel. Ooh. Oh, no, I thank you. Think, I don't think I could handle it. No, I don't think I could. Uh, Too happy. 
Exactly. Anyway, look, I'm going to leave you there. Actually, I just want to mention one thing here from Discord from go Start on. Many, who says, Good morning. As we already started to go through the odd habits of James on the podcast, I'm not sure. Did we start? I don't know what's happened there, but maybe we did and I've forgotten. Sure we've ever stopped. He says, I feel obliged to mention the clicking sounds he makes uh, to extend his thinking yeah. time during a tricky question. So that's your equivalent of the the bum bum bum, I guess. So is it like? Does he mean clicking like? If is it like, or is it more like? Um, no, I think it's more the like the. Uh, oh, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know when. Yeah. I am re. Or does he mean I'm actually just clicking, like just clicking into the microphone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, I've hurt myself. Yeah, actually. I think that's what. It's, anyway, um, he what he wanted to say was they remind me of that creepy girl in Hereditary. You seen that movie? Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, what a day, Matteo Genduzzi. It looks too scary. Too scary. Are you not a fan of scary, scary movies? Can't do it. I get too scared. Okay. I get too scared. Hereditary looks like the most frightening sort of thing, you know, for me. I, I don't know if I could hack it. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, it was. I think maybe probably. But, you know, yeah. I forget movies very, so very quickly. You know, I see a movie and right. then it's like, uh, did I see that? Oh, I don't remember what happened in that. So, anyway, yeah. listen, I think we better stop there before we start talking about Avengers or one of those things again and people give us, yeah, we'll people give us grief. Uh, James, thank you for taking the time out from your uh, holiday retreat to be with us on the Arsecast Extra right. today. Uh, we will have a podcast for you on Friday, of course, and watch out for some stuff on Patreon this week as well. Patreon.com forward slash Arsebug. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.